Well, good morning, church. It's a blessing to be here. If you have your Bible, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I plan to share our update this evening. I do want to say thank you for the continued faithful support over the last several years. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, there are many endeavors in this world that may be really good ideas, but they're not guaranteed success. They might lack funding, they might lack administration, they might just lack the economic timing. And yet, the endeavor of world missions is guaranteed success. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the calling, the command for us to take the gospel to the nations will be without fail. And I hope that this morning as we walk through 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I will walk through it quickly this morning, I pray that you will see that there is a way that the gospel can be carried to the nations, and as it is carried, it will be Successful. The Apostle Paul went to the city of Corinth and he started the church there in Corinth as he left and was told by the house of Chloe, nanny nanny boo boo, they told on the church at Corinth and the people from the house of Chloe said there are problems back in the church. Paul wrote the first book of Corinthians and if you've studied the book of First Corinthians you know there were a lot of problems. They received it well. They corrected the problems. Paul wrote a couple of books, and what we have now as the second, the book of 2 Corinthians is one of those as he writes back to them. There was an issue there, and what that issue was some people were downplaying Paul's apostolic calling. Paul says, hey, hang on a second, let me share with you how I brought the gospel, and we get, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we get a very unique moment in all of Paul's writings where he tells us, this is how I did the missionary work when I came to work among you. I'll read verses 1 and 2. I see them as somewhat introductory to our passage. Let me read verses 1 and 2. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, the previous chapter, he explains what that ministry was, the ministry to carry the gospel to those people. So we have this ministry as we have received mercy and we faint not. I'm not going to quit while I carry the gospel. Then verse number 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, you know how we acted when we came to bring the gospel to you. We did not handle the gospel deceitfully. I would say there was no prosperity gospel. There was no easy believism. I carried the gospel in, and you guys are a witness of how I did it. That's how he shares this. And then in verse number 3 and onward, I see the heart of the passage as he brings out his method and how it was that he did 
his missionary work, I think that we can take lesson from it. I'll give you four clear ones. I'll do my best to outline them for you. If you want to write them down, I'd encourage you to do that. The very first one is this. If we're going to carry the gospel and we're going to do it with success, there are a couple of things that we need to do. Number one, we need to see the hopelessness of humanity. See the hopelessness of humanity. That's in verses number three and four. Verse number three, he says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I see very clearly in those two verses, I see very clearly that lost people are blind. See that again? The gospel is hid. It's hid to them that are lost. And then secondly, I see that Satan keeps on blinding them. See it in verse th- verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So very clearly, lost people are blind and Satan actively continues to blind them. You have to see. In order to do missions, you have to see that they are blind. See that they're hopeless. I hope that those words in verse 3 are heartbreaking as you hear them. If the gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost. It's our task to take the gospel to the nations. I hope that that, those words of verse 3 will break your heart. If I can just give you some statistics, this Joshua Project. If you're not familiar with Joshua Project, Google it. Joshua Project outlines very clearly the nations, all of the different people groups around the world, some 16,000 of them. According to the Joshua Project, right now, only 10% of the world's population claims to be Christian and actually acts like it. 10%. We're approaching 8 billion. 10% claims. Another 22% of the world's population claims Christianity, but that's in name only. And I think of specifically, uh, my, my dad went and has gone many times to go and teach in a seminary in India, and, and he comes back with reports and shares with me. The Apostle Thomas, church history tells us the Apostle Thomas went as far as India, and there are many people in that area of India who claim to be Christian. You ask them why they're Christian, it's because they're not Buddhist. And they're not Muslim. They're Christian. Their parents were Christian, so they're Christian. I wonder how many of us in America could be described that way. And in my most recent of carjackings, the guy who was holding the gun had a hat that said, I love Jesus. Christian in name, but doesn't act like it. Another 40% of the global population has heard the gospel in some form, but they have not responded. But the number that grabs me is that 25.2% of the world's population, numbering almost 2 billion people, have not heard the gospel and in their lifetime will not have the opportunity to receive the gospel in any form. Audiobook, internet, radio station, no gospel for them. No Bible in their language. And Paul says very clearly, if the gospel will be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. We need to see their hopelessness. Someone must carry the gospel. That's Romans 10, 14. How should they hear without a preacher? The second thing that I see, apart from Christ, man having no hope, the second thing I see in our outline for this chapter is that we need to exalt the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
I'll explain that. Let me read it first. Verses 5 and 6. Verse number 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. In other words, it's not me. that I'm, I'm not coming in and building up my kingdom. This is about Him. Now, verse number 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So I say, first off, we need to see the hopelessness of humanity, but then secondly, we need to exalt the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He is a light-commanding God. You see that in verse number 6? God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. I hope that that rings a bell for you of day one of creation. Let there be light. And right across the darkness of the universe that was not yet existing, He shattered it with light. He commands it to be so. Now, there is a beautiful play on words that Paul is doing here between verses 4 and verse 6. So let me draw your attention. Verse number 4 It's the God of this world that Satan has blinded the minds of those that do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So Satan's doing his best to keep lost people from seeing the light. In in verse 4, he calls it the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Then in verse 6, he's going to say the light, and it's going to be the same. They're the same light. Now verse 6, so Satan is trying to keep the light of the glorious gospel of Christ from coming into their lives. Verse 6, instead of God fighting back against it, pushing back against Satan, notice the word that he uses, verse 6, but God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Satan's doing his best to hold it back, and yet God is commanding the light. And you, Ephesians 2, have He quickened who were dead in your trespasses and sins. And He commands the light to come into your life. Oh, we should be exalting the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And notice that it's in the face of Jesus. So here's the glory. If you were to study and look at the glory, the magnificent glory of God. Oh, I mentioned day one and all of the subsequent days that He had as He created, made, He breathes into man the breath of life and man becomes a living soul. Oh, He is glorious. Some 2,000 flights that I got to do in Papua New Guinea, I saw all of the magnificent handiwork of God, the karst stone wall along the southern border of the southern highlands, between the southern highlands and the Gulf province. Oh, um, unimaginable in the thousands of waterfalls that I had the privilege to fly over. And then you just go right off into the coast and see the reefs filled with the fish, just teeming with the fish. I just see, oh, the glorious handwork of God in His creative power. But keep in mind that His creative glory is not salvific. You won't get saved by looking at the glory of God in His creation. You need Jesus. And that's what He's saying in verse number 6. You see it in verse 6? He gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And here's the important words. In the face of Jesus Christ. 
You need Jesus. In order for you to be right with God, you need Jesus. In order for the masses, almost two billion people, to be right with God, oh, they can go swim in their reefs and they can go look at their stone cliffs, but they're not going to know Jesus. Somebody's got to carry the face of Jesus to them. I hope that you've been thinking as I've been talking this morning, I hope that you've been thinking and said, Matt, you said that it is a guaranteed, unfailing endeavor. But if I think of all of the missionaries who have gone, not all of them have been successful. I might use one that is very famous, 1956. Five missionaries, Pete Fleming. Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint on Palm Beach. You say, that's not very successful. And I would challenge you and say, oh no, your definition of success is very different from what Scripture's definition of success is. For that was simply the wedge that God used to take the gospel into those people. And now a vibrant growing church among the Waurani Indians. And he speaks of this in these next few verses. Look at verses 7 to 10, it says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That is the light of the glorious gospel. It's in this earthen treasure. I have this treasure in this earthen vessel. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side. He just touched it. There's going to be persecution. There will be suffering. It's okay. We're troubled on every side. Notice that is a physical setback, but a spiritual, oh, a spiritual award is that I am not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So here he gives this light, and it comes in. And you know how the light comes out? By breaking the body. But he doesn't abandon us. You remember his words, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What a wonderful promise. He says, okay, here we go. And if you're writing things down this morning, I would suggest that you expect, number three, expect opposition to the spread of the glory of God. Expect it. It will be a part. There will be some things, if you're going to be a missionary, there are going to be some things that you might have to give up. Maybe some food. If you're a meat and potatoes person, God calls you to the Middle East. Uh, you might have to say goodbye to bacon and fall in love with falafel and hummus. And maybe you'll have to give up some religious freedoms. We had a young lady from our church, Papua New Guinean lady, that went to live in the Maldives. 99.87% Muslim. If a young person or a person in the Maldives converts to anything other than Muslim, the penalty is death. Carry no Bible, erase the Bible from her phone, secretly install a VPN, and get the Bible back on her phone. And in her two years of service in a hospital in the Maldives, she found no other believers. You see, you might have to give up some freedoms. Or you might have to give up some interactions with friends. Our first six years among the Kamea, we did not have an airplane. And when that airplane would drop us off, we would stand on the runway and watch 
as the airplane disappeared over the horizon, and we don't know when it's coming back. Might be a week, might be a month, might be several months. And in the early days, no email and no sat phone. It was just us. God might call you to some isolation that the people that are around you have no understanding of. And Paul says, but that's okay. Always, verse 10, and I might say those are very light things. Verse 10, his bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that, there's a reason for this, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So expect some suffering. It's okay. He says, I'm distressed, but I'm not forsaken. Then he says in verse 11, for we which live are always delivered unto the death for Jesus' sake. I might say we in 2021 America know very little about that. He says, we're delivered unto death that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. This is for you, brothers and sisters. I'm going to go through this suffering. Let this earthen vessel break so that the light of the glorious gospel of God can come out of me. And you can see Jesus working in me. So then death worketh in me, but life in you. We have the same spirit. Verse 13, he says, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak knowing that He which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. So it doesn't matter if I suffer. It's okay because if the worst thing that could ever happen is me dying, I know He raised up Jesus, so He's going to raise me up too. That's a seriously different way to think. You can't stop the Apostle Paul. Can't stop him because he says, Everything that happens bad for me is for your good, so it's going to be okay. Let it happen. And that brings me to the fourth thing if you're writing these down. Number four, be assured that his purposes will be accomplished. Be assured that his purposes will be accomplished. Look at verse 15 with me. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many. Redound to the glory of God. All things are for your sakes. I go through all of these. He calls them light afflictions. Later in the chapter, or later in the book, he lists them out, what those afflictions were. And oh, this light afflictions, they are for your sake, so people of Corinth. So while God sends a missionary, many times the missionary may suffer. Can I implore you this morning not to think of a missionary as some old, bearded, white guy in a jungle with a walking stick and a pith helmet. Can I ask you to think instead, oh, this might be me. I'm not going to kid myself and think that in a 20-minute sermon this morning, I'm going to persuade you to go to the mission field, but I'm praying that perhaps this morning's message might be the spark of a line of thinking or perhaps the gasoline on the fire of a line of thinking that's been coming for a very long time. And I pray that God will call out from among us people who will see that there are so many things much bigger and more important than whether or not my Netflix stream buffers and whether or not I can get the right kind of special meal at the restaurant that I went to. Oh friend, there are so many things that are so much more important in our lives and that is the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus. And oh, may we be faithful to carry it. And I pray that one day it might be you as well. See the rest of verse 15. All things are for your sakes, he says. That the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. So while I carry the gospel, it's for your sakes. Oh, people of Corinth, it's for your sakes. So that you will receive the grace of God and you will return glory back to Him. He continues the passage in verse number 16, For which cause we faint not. I don't give up. Those are the very same words that he used at the beginning of the chapter. We don't faint when we carry the gospel. And we don't faint, here he says it at the end of the chapter, we don't faint because we're carrying the gospel. And I know the grace of God is going to change your life and you're going to give glory to God because of it. For which cause we faint not, for though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. Can I echo those words? The things that we see are temporary. Maybe we can stop and see the hopelessness of humanity aside from Christ. And see those eternal things. He finishes the verse, the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So may we look upon those eternal things that are oh so much more precious. I say again this morning, this is a task that cannot fail. I carry the gospel. They receive it today. I get to see fruit of it today. Oh, what a glorious moment for me today. But if they don't receive it today, oh, God will use it as the, if so be, the blood of the martyrs, it will be the seed of the church. It's an unfailing task. I was in college and I heard someone make this statement, and I've hung on to it the rest of my life. I'm not afraid that I will fail. I'm just afraid that I'm going to succeed at something that doesn't matter. I wonder what it is that you've given your life over to. And what it is that God has called you to. I say those words with great conviction, for I know that God has not called every person to the mission field, but I do believe that God has called every person to be a part of this mission that will never fail. And so if God has called you to be an electrician or a plumber or a mechanic or an engineer or an accountant or whatever it is that God has called you to do, I do pray that you are doing it with all your might as unto the Lord. And that you are using that as an avenue to send the gospel to your Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even the uttermost part of the world. And I do pray also that God would be calling some of us, whether we be young or middle-aged or older. My friend Will Muldoon arrived on the mission field at 65 years old. He's 75 now. He's lived for the last 10 years literally in the swamps of the Gulf province. He's now graduated 27 pastors in the last 10 years. Oh, God can use even retiring people. And so I pray that God would call and he would do his work and that all of us would join in in the unfailing endeavor.